Welcome to Vita Poetica Journal's podcast, where an online journal featuring creative work explored through a spiritual lens and a publication of the Vita Poetica Arts and Faith Collective. Each Tuesday on the podcast, we'll be featuring a longer work from our current journal issue and then one or two shorter works on Fridays. I'm Julie Wan, one of the journal editors, and today I'm pleased to bring you a piece of creative nonfiction, or you might also consider it a series of linked prose poems. Here's the author, Janine Marie Pitas, sharing about what inspired her piece, History Lessons. Hi everyone, my name is Janine Pitas, and I'm going to read you a prose poem called History Lessons. A little context for this piece I am a firm believer in immigrant rights, and I think that comes from just a fundamental belief that human beings have the right to choose where they live, an awareness that in the United States of America, our immigration system is broken, and also aware of my own position as a descendant of European immigrants who came here in the 19th century and really had no obstacles to their coming. In fact, they were actively encouraged to come and in the process of their migration, displaced other peoples, native peoples, who also, I believe, have a very specific right to this land that we inhabit. One thing that I see as a huge irony is that many of the immigrants coming to the United States today are indigenous peoples, specifically from the Northern Triangle of Central America. And yet they are told that they cannot legally live in this country, which to me is, besides being a grave injustice, is a very cruel irony. So one of the ways that I chose to respond as I started learning about this situation was to become a Spanish-English interpreter for immigrants in my community, just as a volunteer. And another way was to become a legal guardian for young people seeking legal status here under a program called Special Immigrant Juvenile Status. And the reason I bring this up is because this is something that really any U.S. citizen can do as a way of supporting youth. You don't necessarily have to speak the language of your ward You don't necessarily have to house them. A lot of times they prefer to live with family, but their family members don't have legal status um, and can't be their guardians. You don't necessarily have to be wealthy um, or even, you know, even of means. I know people who are quite low income who have taken on legal wards supported by resources in the community. So if this is something that speaks to you or interests you, look in your community for any nonprofit organizations working on behalf of immigrants, immigrant rights, maybe speak to some attorneys if you find someone who happens to do immigration law, and this might be a way for you to get involved because there is a real need across the U.S. for legal guardians. In my case, I did invite my legal ward to live with me, and the experience was life-changing. She lived with me for two years. She no longer does, but we've maintained a close friendship. And this is a piece of our story as I experienced it. History Lessons My not-daughter I try to become your mother by signing on a line 
First, I must cross two languages. Ishil is a coat that surrounds you, protecting you from the white wall's coldness, the waiting rooms, and questioning eyes. It guards you from strangers who, though bringing milk and good intentions, don't understand. Nor do I. Your own mother is now a face on a screen, a photo by your bed, someone you hope to see again, someday. I nurture you in my way, buy you jeans, correct your spelling, drive you to dental appointments. You make me tamales, plant tomatoes and beans on a bare patch of land beside my house. Yes, I will sign. I promise to give you a bed, a roof. I offer to hold on to your hand, though your mother I cannot be. The dishwasher. I walk into the restaurant where you're working and ask for you. Magdalena. The host stares at me blankly. Magda who? Maybe she's at the other location, I persist. No one with that name works here. She's a dishwasher, I say. Her eyes grow clear. You emerge from the kitchen, apron over your t-shirt and jeans. 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. The hour when you should be studying for a math test, not scraping bits of fake egg into the garbage, not loading heavy trays into a machine not meeting a lawyer who seeks to help people who've crossed imaginary lines remain in their chosen home. It's snowing in April, sleeting ice. The first blooms have frozen. Spring hesitates. Your paper's late. Snow falls. You wash dishes. You've worked for a month, back in the kitchen where customers don't go. None of the servers seem to know you. How the other half lives. Translate it for me, you command. It's for your U.S. history class. Shining September, you live with me and go to school. I tell you about tenements crowded with cigar workers, wives and husbands and children up from dawn working late into the night. I tell you of wealthy landlords who lived in posh neighborhoods and didn't say where they got their money. I tell you of my Polish great-grandparents, their journeys over the sea, how they, like you, came here without money or English, how they, like you, swept floors and worked in factories. When was this written, you ask? 1890. A century and three decades compress, I may as well have said, last week. I go on about people, twenty packed in a house. It was horrible then, I say. You look it to me and smile. At least they knew they could stay. 1898. You hand me the paper. This week's lesson, the Spanish-American War. This was the moment when U.S. imperialism firmly took hold, the textbook states. I show you a map. You label Philippines, Cuba, Puerto Rico. Prior to your own... Point to your own country. Seventy years later, it too would feel my ancestors' talons. Could it be that your own journey across borders also began in 1898 with Hearst and Pulitzer, Remember the Maine, with Rough Riders galloping through Cuba, with betrayed Philippine nationalists shaking their fists? The United States of America, once a freedom fighter, now a self-crowned king, sets millions running from bombs and pesticides. 
Its victims come to the door, demand to be let in. You, one of them, look at me with a question. Can I really count on you? Are you here for me? I made you a promise. I signed my name. But you know that my life, like my country, is full of bullion and debt, Times Square and vast deserts. Weapons. Once I said I wanted no children. I tried to build a wall. Your brown eyes hold a question. Will you let me in? Saving Private Ryan. Neither of us can believe that Mr. Simmons has made you spend four class periods watching it. You look at me, disturbed, puzzled. Forget D-Day. How to explain World War II when I haven't helped you with your homework on World War I, when you're an 18-year-old with a sixth-grade education who grew up in a village of 500, when a big part of you just wants to work day and night and buy some land back in your country. But your lawyers say you need to sit in a classroom and learn these truths. I do too. The Jews, you've never heard of them. They were the first to believe in one God. Jesus was a Jew, I explain. You nod. In the 1930s, in Europe, a group of people decided they were bad and all needed to be killed. I say the word, genocide. Your eyes flash. You lower your head. Like my country in the 1980s, you say. Clarity appears. You know more history than I do. Graduation. Last week, I drove you five hours to immigration court in Omaha and feared I'd be coming back without you. We crossed the land of the Ho-Chunk, the Bahoje, the Ponca. You hail from the land of the Maya. So many transplants to this land, immigrants like me, truly believe that a blonde-haired judge has the right to declare whether or not you can stay. After five minutes, she pronounces her decision, denied. One last appeal remains. Your lawyer pledges to keep fighting. You keep silent the whole ride home. But today, you don a lilac dress, new leather shoes. The satin blue gown adorns you. I wish that judge could be here, sitting in the bleachers alongside hundreds of families. I wish she could see the siblings and cousins who have come from other towns to clap and cheer for the first person in their family to graduate from high school. I wish she could see you cross that stage, shake the principal's hand, pose for the picture I take alongside other proud parents. Magdalena, I call. Your eyes blaze. You lift them at the sound of your name. Thank you for listening. Best wishes to you all. That was Janine Marie Peters reading history lessons from our summer issue. You can learn more about Vita Poetica at the website in our podcast description, www.vitapoetica.org, where you can find details on submitting to the journal and other ways to get involved. Thanks for listening, and more soon.